Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The answer is yes, there's still construction going on. For those of you who are inclined to think that or ask that, the answer is yes, there's still construction. I don't know if at any point it could get worse than the last show or just as bad as the last show or whatever, but, you know, there's not much I could do to fix that, so we just got to kind of deal with it. But anyway, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today, and uh, I'm doing many, seg- many, many segments on the Trump rally because he gave us so much material coming out of that. It's unbelievable. Um, so I'm going to lead with that in just a second. I got like six or seven stories from that. Um, then I'm going to weigh in on Nathan J. Robinson and current affairs versus rising with Crystal and Sager. There was a little bit of a back and forth going on there. Then we have Amy Klobuchar announces something somewhat surprising. Um, but actually, I'll explain how it's really not all that surprising as a result of what happened with George Floyd. Um, and then, yeah, I might throw in some stuff at the end here that's relatively breaking, stuff on Venezuela, um, perhaps some stuff on Bolton, we'll see. But anyway, without further ado, let's kick it off, and uh, in we go with Trump and his rally. President Trump had a rally the other day, his first rally since COVID hit. 
and he had a moment that I think really should be a much bigger story, and it's really not being talked about almost at all, but here he is, quite literally coming out against the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Now we're getting into the real stuff. They decapitated a statue of Christopher Columbus, except in New York when the Italians surrounded it. They didn't have too much of a chance. Those Italians, I love the Italians. They heard they were going to rip down their beautiful Christopher Columbus, and all of a sudden they circled that thing. They didn't do too well in hurting Christopher, did they? Thank you. To our Italian population, we're very proud of you. Two days ago, leftist radicals in Portland, Oregon, ripped down a statue of George Washington and wrapped it in an American flag and set the American flag on fire. Democrats, all Democrats. Everything I tell you is Democrat. And you know, we ought to do something, Mr. Senators. We have two great senators. We ought to come up with legislation that if you burn the American flag, you go to jail for one year. One year. Jim and James. Jim and James. We ought to do it. You know, they talk about freedom of speech, and I'm a big believer in freedom of speech, but that's desecration. That's a terrible thing they do. We used to have things. We don't have them anymore because we want to be so open, so everything, and look what happens. We should have legislation that if somebody wants to burn the American flag and stomp on it, but just burn it, they go to jail for one year, okay? That would be dead on arrival because there was already a Supreme Court case on this in the year 1989. And the decision was that burning an American flag is like quintessential freedom of speech and free protest. Justice Antonin Scalia, who's a far-right justice, He famously said, hey, listen, if I was king, I would ban burning the American flag and I would punish it. But I'm not king, and we have this thing called the U.S. Constitution, and the specific kind of speech that the U.S. Constitution protects is speech like that. Burning the American flag is symbolism of discontent with your government. So to ban burning an American flag is to ban the freedom to express your opinion on the current state of affairs in the country. And he said, listen, my personal opinion is irrelevant on this because we have the U.S. Constitution. We have the First Amendment, which is free speech and free protest and freedom of religion. And 
what do you want me to do? This is the most crystal clear case. It's clear cut as to what the point of the First Amendment is. See, being a patriot is not not burning the flag or being against burning the flag. Being a patriot is understanding that you live in a country that's free enough to let you burn the flag, and there are no consequences for that. See, for all this talk, especially, and and the right loves to do it, they talk about freedom and liberty and all that stuff. And then when you actually test those principles, and by the way, the way you test a principle is you go to an extreme case, you don't have to test the principle of freedom of speech if somebody goes out there and says, rainbows are beautiful, dogs are cute, apple pie is delicious, and I love mommy. Because nobody objects to that. (laughs) You have to test the principle on the fringe cases. It is, you know, the Stalinist. It is the white supremacist. It is the person who burns the flag. These are the real tests of the principle of whether or not you believe in freedom of speech. And there's a general rule that you can abide by, and it's pretty much ironclad. Anytime somebody says, as Trump just did, I'm I'm for free speech, but, 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 anytime they throw a button there, guaranteed they're not for free speech. He's literally overriding U.S. Supreme Court case law on this and the standard interpretation of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Why? For BS faux patriotism brownie points because his campaign is floundering, he's doing terrible in the polls, and he feels like he's got nothing left, so he's going all in on the culture war. Now, we're going to talk more about this later. Guys, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. There's a, the culture war stuff doesn't work in certain instances. We're in one of those circumstances right now. So, again, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But everybody needs to understand something. It's not just Trump. It's everybody on the right who loves to claim the mantle of believing in freedom of speech. See, there's this movement that started probably online going back to you know, maybe 2012-ish or a little, a little bit after that, where the right started, you know, being the most aggressive, ardent supporters of freedom of speech. Now, why did they do that? Well, the answer is very simple. There was this movement, which at the time was called Social Justice Warriors. And it's not Social Justice Warriors in the context that you might think of it the first time you hear that. When you think of social justice war, you think, okay, isn't that like Martin Luther King, you know, fighting for social justice, wanting to fix stuff? Like, isn't that a good thing? No, the the term social justice warrior became the the description and kind of like a caricature of the person who goes overboard with that ideology to the point where they want to, like, control people's speech. And they want to talk about stuff like safe spaces and microaggressions. And so it was very easy for the right to go after these people. Why? Because usually most of the people who were pushing this kind of, you know, censorship ideology were college-age know-nothings with pink hair who want to be part of something bigger than them, but they didn't really stumble across the super important issues like, you know, imperialism, ending war, fixing our economic system, which is rife with corruption. And, like, they didn't find the stuff to focus on to really be part of something that's bigger than them. So they focus on, like, policing language and microaggressions and safe space and trigger warnings and stuff. So it's so easy to point at these people and say, oh, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. You aren't even okay with people expressing their opinions. I'm for free speech. 
And this is what these people did for years and years and years and years and years. It's, we on the right are for free speech. The left is no longer for free speech. Yeah! And then meanwhile, what organizations have fully embraced, at least historically, this defending this principle come hell or high water? Well, maybe go have a little conversation with a guy named Glenn Greenwald. Certainly nobody's right winger. You know, he was a First Amendment lawyer. Look at what the ACLU did. The ACLU was so principled on this issue that they even defended white supremacists because they said the content of what this person is saying is irrelevant. We don't agree with the content. We're defending the principle of freedom of speech because once you suppress this person's speech, guess what? It's a slippery slope, and you bet your ass they're going to come for the communists. They're going to come for the anarchists. They're going to come for anybody who steps outside of mainstream acceptable opinion. You know, if once you get rid of free speech, why not say, hey, when there's a war going on, it's anti-American, it's unpatriotic, it's sedition to question the war. So now you know, we're going to lock you up for trying to call out the BS involved in our wars. Once you open that door, there's no end to it. So it's really not, you know, right-wingers who were protecting it all along. Historically, it was more of a left issue. I'll admit that, yes, there was a movement with social justice warriorism that kind of broke away from that and became too identity-obsessed and too censorious. But my point here is the, the right-wingers who claim to believe in freedom of speech, claim to believe in it, they're absolutely, positively nowhere to be found when there's not just a violation of the principle of freedom of speech, violation of the constitutionality of freedom of speech. Because Trump's out there saying, I want to lock you up for a year in prison if you burn the American flag. So where are all the free speech warriors on this one? Where are they? Where's Dave Rubin? Where's he at? Is he doing a long segment on this? Is he talking about it nonstop? Is he tweeting about it nonstop? Or does free speech only apply when you get to bash pink-haired college kids? And the answer is obvious. It only applies when you get to bash pink hair college kids. Because the fact of the matter is, when it comes to Donald Trump, he said many times before, oh, I'd like to copy the UK's laws when it comes to speech. They don't have freedom of speech in the, in the American way over there. And so it's much easier to sue for libel or slander or defamation over there. So he wants to copy those things? Well, then he's anti-free speech. This is a guy who threatened to sue Bill Maher because Bill Maher made a joke about Trump that he didn't like. He said something like, oh, Donald, you have to prove to me that, you know, one of your parents isn't an orangutan because of the color of your hair. And so Trump, like, provided proof to Bill Maher, see, these are my parents, I'm going to sue you, and, you know, you have to pay me millions of dollars. And Maher's like, it's a joke, bro. You're literally suing me over a joke because you don't like that I compared you to an orangutan. That's what you're doing. So this is thin-skinned, petty authoritarian Garbage. And there's other issues. There's other instances of Trump, um, you know, wantonly violating the principle of free speech in the past. Now he's coming for the constitutionality of it and saying, I would lock you in jail for a year if you burn the American flag. This is a debate that was settled once and for all in 1989. But in reality, with the plain face reading of the First Amendment of the Constitution, you could argue this goes all the way back to our founding. But Look at what he's doing. I don't hear anything from the people who said they cared about freedom of speech. So just so you understand, it was always a scam. It was always a ruse. These guys are partisan hacks. They're not principled. They never believed in it. If they did, this would piss them off. I mean, seriously, guys, stop and think about it for a second. When there's somebody on the left, or nominally on the left, somebody in the Democratic Party who, let's say, is pro-war, what do I do? I come out here and I go, I, this person's wrong. I totally disagree. This is unacceptable. But when Trump goes out there and says, I'm against the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, I don't hear anything from the right. Nothing. 
And by the way, at a time like this, guys, we need free speech. We need people to be able to get out there and protest against injustices, because if you don't have that, there's no built-in mechanism to fix the system. I mean, we already know our government is corrupt beyond imagination. So how do you fight back against that? Will you use mass movements, mass mobilization and organization? This is what they did in the civil rights movement. When you get enough bodies out there in the streets, you scare the pants out of the people in power, and then they bend to your will. It turns out when you have you know, thousands and thousands of people calling for defunding the police in the streets, what happens? Even the Republicans go, no, 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 not defund, but we will reform. Sure, we'll reform. I think reform is reasonable. So they're pushing the Overton window. They're getting out there. If you take away the ability to, of people to protest, you're no longer a free society. You're an authoritarian police state. And that's what he wants. He wants absolute power. He's using this as a wedge, a cultural wedge issue, because he knows that he's got nothing else to rely on, so he's just doubling down on the culture war at this point because everything else around him is falling apart. And he's at the point where it's the, the most absurd BS faux patriotism nonsense you can imagine. I love the flag. I think the flag is tremendous. The flag is amazing. And anybody who burns the flag should be locked up for a full year. But why? Because the flag is good. The flag is good. This is the same guy who threatens to sue the media if they write stories he doesn't like about him. Deeply against the First Amendment. There's no if, ends, or buts about it. No if, ends, or buts about it. Especially with the threatening to invoke the Insurrection Act to stop the rioters. If the military was in the streets of the U.S., they wouldn't just stop the rioters. They would shut down demonstrations full stop, which is against the Constitution. So I don't know how many more ways he could tell you that in his heart of hearts he's an authoritarian, and that's how he wants to act. Now, you could say he's massively incompetent. That's probably true because there's so many issues where he wants to do stuff and then he just doesn't end up doing it, or the system goes, we're not doing that, and then it ends. Um, but this is what he's going to use to try to get elected now, and it's pathetic. And I, I'm honestly – annoyed and floored at the fact that this isn't a bigger story, more people aren't talking about it, and um, these idiots on the right are not standing by the thing that they pretended to believe in all along. You want to know why? Because it's, so, it's such a clear example of everything they said being a charade. Every single thing. You would think that out of the whole bunch, there's maybe a handful of the so-called free speech warriors who are like, no, I mean it, and that's messed up. Where are they at, dog? Where are they at? All right, next. Let me change the color behind me, bitch. Okay, here we go. President Trump went in on Biden at his rally, um, and he previewed his 2020 strategy. I have a lot to say about this. This is fascinating. Take a look. And if Biden is elected, he will surrender your country to these mobsters 100%. Your 401k by the way, look at how we're doing in the stock market. Just at another record with NASDAQ. NASDAQ. 
Your 401ks and money itself will be worthless. Your 401ks are doing very well unless, I don't want to say, if you were stupid, I said, don't sell, don't sell. It went down, but we got it back up. And now NASDAQ, think of it, NASDAQ just set a record, and I think you're going to see a lot of records. And next year, if we don't do anything stupid on November 3rd, you are going to have the greatest economic year we've ever had. That'll be next year. If the Democrats gain power, then the rioters will be in charge, and no one will be safe, and no one will have control. Joe Biden is not the leader of his party. Joe Biden is a helpless puppet of the radical left. I wish Joe Biden was a, quote, helpless puppet of the so-called radical left. I wish that was the case. He's certainly not that. So now he's, he's previewing what he's going to do in 2020 here and what he's going to do the rest of the campaign season. He is going to go all in on bragging about the things that he thinks are good. So he's talking about 401Ks and the NASDAQ and the stock market. Don, how much more evidence do you need that this is flimsy ground? I mean, you're tap dancing on ice here, bro. I mean, the market plummeted and crashed recently, and then the only reason it's bounced back is because we basically fully socialized the stock market and bailed out investors and bailed out corporations. And then even with all of this help, there's still a chance that the market implodes. So you're going you're gonna to go out there and brag about this. This is so extremely volatile. So he's, he's going to brag about that, and by the way, it's that's not a good indicator of how your average American is doing. Obviously, obviously, obviously. You guys all know that. He apparently doesn't know that. That when you talk about the stock market, I mean, you're talking about the stock market at a time when 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And 20%, there's about 20% real unemployment. And people are struggling, and they can't pay the bills, and over 20 million people just lost their health care. And you're out there talking about the NASDAQ. So... He's going to brag about the stuff he thinks is good. That's the whole keep America great strategy. So it's no longer make America great again, meaning, hey, things are bad. We've got to change it. Now Trump is saying, oh, I made it good, so now we've got to keep America great, which sounds a hell of a lot like Hillary's response to Trump in 2016. America's already great. How did that work out? Beyond that, his goal is to basically say Joe Biden is tied to the rioters and the looters and Antifa which is at face value, that is the single most absurd argument you could ever come up with about Joe Biden. Again, you are talking about the guy who wrote the damn crime bill. And now you're going to say he's not tough enough on crime. He's like pro-looter, pro-rider. Oh, please. Oh, please. So I'm going to tell everybody right now. In 2016, Trump ran against Hillary and... He kept hitting the same themes over and over. He kept hitting her on NAFTA and outsourcing jobs. He kept hitting her on corruption and the Clinton Foundation and all the pay-to-play stuff that's going on there. He kept hitting her on the Iraq War over and over and over and over. And he postured as being the anti-establishment outsider who's going to go in there and shake things up and overthrow the establishment and be the vessel for the people. This is what he did in 2016. That was, his, that was his strategy in 2016. Now, 
in 2020. It's brag about the stock market, tie Biden to the far left, and lean into culture war stuff, which was the rest of his rally. So what's the culture war stuff? Non-stop talking about the fake news media and how they're so mean to me and how the scandal, when I walked down the ramp, the ramp was so slippery. It was so slippery. It was ridiculous. I had leather shoes on and the fake news media came after me. You know, the statue stuff. He talks a lot about the statue stuff and, oh, my God, our, hi- our history, our heritage, it's coming down. These crazy, these crazy rioters and looters and far left and Antifa, they're coming for these, for these statues. All of that stuff is not going to work. Why? Because the cultural war stuff is all background noise when we have a goddamn pandemic where over 120,000 Americans have died, where over 2 million Americans have COVID. That number is definitely going to keep rising. And you also have 20% real unemployment, which far eclipses the Great Recession, and we're in Great Depression territory, and we're only temporarily staving off another stock market implosion. So when you have acute national crises all hitting at once, tumultuous uprisings, 20% real unemployment, a pandemic, nobody cares about the goddamn statues, bro. Now, yes, you do have people on the so-called far left and the far right who do care about that stuff a lot. And all they could do is be up their own asses talking about symbolism in the culture war all day long. That is not normal Americans. That is not regular folks. Most people have their kids, and they want to pay the bills, and they go to work, and they come home, and they see their family on the weekends. Like, most people are like that. You think those people have really, you know, planted a flag and said, I have this position on the statues, good sir? Even people who have an opinion on that, That's not what they're thinking about when they lay their head down on their pillow at night. They're like, how the hell am I going to pay the bills? How can I make sure my family doesn't get COVID-19? What is going on in this country? Oh, my God. This is what these people are thinking. How the hell am I going to pay my health care bills? We already had 28 million people that didn't have health care. Now we have another 20-plus million. This is insane. We didn't didn't, um, temporarily nationalize wages like Germany did. We got all these problems. We, we need a UBI desperately. People can't pay the mortgage. People can't pay the rent. And your ass is out there talking about statues and the culture war and how the fake news media is so mean to you. That is definitely going to ring hollow. Bro, nobody cares about your goddamn vanity. Nobody cares about your narcissism and the fact that you feel slighted. Yes, I'll admit that in, in 2016 and in times where The biggest issue is the establishment screwing everybody. People love a populist bomb thrower, and that's Trump's persona. He comes across as a populist bomb thrower. But as I told you guys a million times, when we have acute national crises that are hitting us, like COVID-19, like 20% real unemployment, like tumultuous uprisings like the 1960s, when we have that stuff happening, people do not want a divisive figure, a populist bomb thrower. What they want is a steady hand of leadership that attempts to unite and rise above and let everybody know it's going to be okay, as opposed to this idiot fanning the flames of everything that's going on. This strategy will not work. And guess what? 
Biden doesn't have to do Dickie McGee's axe. He doesn't have to do Dickie McGee's axe because he's fighting the uphill battle now. He's way down in the polls. He's losing in every single swing state. He is. He's about 8 to 10 points down nationally. Against Hillary at this point, it was only 2 to 4 points down nationally. So it's on him. And here's the thing, guys. Let's say, forget his strategy this time around. Let's say he still ran an airtight strategy in 2020. Let's say Trump is out there doing everything he could exactly right. It would still be a struggle for him to get reelected, even if his strategy was perfect. Why? Because any human being, any politician, no matter how savvy they are, they're going to struggle to override the objective reality of 20% real unemployment and a pandemic. So think about it. Even if the strategy was good, he would have a hard time getting reelected. His strategy is trash. It's trash. So Biden is now a giant favorite. He's not the 2016 Trump. You know what happened, guys? He's been in that right-wing bubble for far too long. He's, been, he's so deep in that right-wing bubble. That remember he was tweeting about the One America News Network um, story of the 75-year-old protester who cops shoved and he was bleeding from his ear on the concrete pavement. That guy, turns out he was an Antifa agitator and he was working with the far left. Excuse you? So what? Even if that's true, which I doubt, the punishment for working with the far left is cops get to shove you and you bleed out from your ear and crack your skull? This is how deep he is in that right-wing bubble. He can't see straight. His instincts are trash now. Trump used to have decent political instincts. He understood, okay, the real issues matter. Well, what are the real issues? The Midwest, all their jobs were outsourced in this country. That's a huge problem. The real issues, the politicians are bought and owned. The real issues, stupid offensive wars like the Iraq War. That's a real issue. He's a, he understood that this is what you've got to focus on. Now, like I said, talking about the NASDAQ and the stock market and your 401k when you're already skating on thin ice, t- t- trying to tie Biden, the most mo- moderate of all moderate Democrats, to the far left, Meanwhile, he's basically a moderate Republican and leaning into the culture war, which only, listen, guys, I promise you, I promise you, even if you're somebody who's super into the culture war, you've got to try your best to take yourself outside of your own shoes and view the world through the eyes of a normie American. And in the eyes of a normie American, they care a hell of a lot more about their bills. They care a hell of a lot more about rent and mortgage payments and health care payments. They care a lot more about unemployment, losing their jobs, taking a pay cut. This is what they care about. And he's out there talking about the Confederate flag and statues. He's dating himself, you know? And and the hardcore politicos, I think they're all dating themselves and thinking like the whole, like the great statue debate really is the centerpiece of, of, of what's going on in the country. Nonsense. Nonsense. doesn't matter what, how you posture on that, what your argument is. Largely, people are going to be like, whoop-de-doo, what about my bills? So he's in trouble. He's in serious trouble because I see not a hint of the proper strategy from him. Not a hint of the proper strategy from him. Whereas in 2016, I was sounding the alarm early on, going, this guy can beat Hillary Clinton because he's, he showed in the primary good political instincts. And again, in the general, it was, 
NAFTA, 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 you're, uh, you outsource jobs, you outsource jobs, you outsource jobs, you're corrupt, you're corrupt, you're corrupt. The Iraq war, you supported it, it was terrible, it was wrong. I'm anti-establishment, I'm anti-establishment, I'm anti-establishment. That was the argument then. Incredibly poignant and potent and intelligent as a strategy. strategy. This time, he looks like a fool. Looks like a fool. All culture war and the fake news and my feelings and the stock market and Biden is with Antifa. He's a mess. At this point, Biden is a very big favorite. That could change. That could change, as many people have pointed out, and I think it's true. A debate is likely to change that at least a little bit. Because I do think Trump would be a lot better in a debate than Biden would. Um, So that could change it. But as of right now, do not get it twisted. This is not 2016. Biden has at least doubled or maybe even tripled Hillary's national lead. And Biden is up in all the swing states. So to just dismiss all this and act like it's fake news and that Trump is not really down. Oh, please. So we got to be as objective as possible and try to analyze why that is. I think what I'm saying has something to do with it here. Because he comes across as petty and narcissistic and self-obsessed and leaning into the culture war at a time when people want somebody to bring the country together and fix the big problems like unemployment, like health care, so on and so forth. All right, next. In his new rally, Trump brought up the military-industrial complex in a very strange way. And i got to be honest with you guys, I watched this clip like four or five times already. I'm still not exactly sure in what context he's bringing this up. But I fear it's the context of, like, this is the way it works, and I've made peace with it. So you tell me, I'm going to play it for you, you know, if you have to keep rewinding to take a look again, by all means, go right ahead and do that, but... I've been trying to decipher this since I heard it. Let's take a look. We cannot continue to be ripped off. We're ripped off by so many countries, and we're stopping it. And that means that a lot of people don't want me here. They don't want me here. There are a lot of people that don't want me here. You know, they don't sell a lot of bombs when we're not dropping bombs on people. You know that, right? It's called the military-industrial complex. When rioting and looting broke out in our nation's capital, I very quickly deployed the National Guard. I said, get them in. All right, let's listen one more time, see if you can, you know, understand what he's getting at here. We cannot continue to be ripped off. We're ripped off by so many countries, and we're stopping it. And that means that a lot of people don't want me here. They don't want me here. There are a lot of people that don't want me here. You know, they don't sell a lot of bombs when we're not dropping bombs on people. You know that, right? It's called the military-industrial complex. When rioting and looting broke out in our nation's capital, I very quickly deployed the National Guard. I said, get them in. I still don't know what he's getting at. He says, we're getting ripped off, and I'm stopping it, and a lot of people don't want me here because, because I'm stopping us getting ripped off. And then he says, they don't sell a lot of bombs, and we're not dropping bombs on people. 
It's called the military-industrial complex. So is he saying that they don't sell a lot of bombs and we're not dropping bombs on people, so I'm making sure we sell a lot of bombs and we're dropping them on, on people because that's good for the country and that's good for business? Like, is he saying that the way that we don't get ripped off is to sell a lot of bombs and drop a lot of bombs on people. Like, is that the point he's getting at? I don't know. Or is he trying to make a point against the military-industrial complex in some way? Because we all know that he loves on the campaign trail to do the anti-war rhetoric, but then in terms of how he governs, he governs like any other American president where he increases our wars overseas. So I still don't know. I'm going to listen to it again. You know, you guys can just hear the audio. I won't show the video, but... We cannot continue to be ripped off. We're ripped off by so many countries, and we're stopping it. And that means that a lot of people don't want me here. They don't want me here. There are a lot of people that don't want me here. You know, they don't sell a lot of bombs when we're not dropping bombs on people. You know that, right? It's called the military-industrial complex. When rioting and looting broke out, yeah, it sounds like he's saying they don't sell a lot of bombs and we're not dropping bombs on people. So, like, we are selling a lot of bombs and we are dropping a lot of bombs on people because we'll be getting ripped off if we don't do that. Like, business, the business of the military-industrial complex will go down if we don't do that. So I'm making sure that's a booming industry by dropping a lot of bombs on people and selling a lot of bombs. Am I missing it? Is it the opposite somehow? I can't tell. Like, it almost sounds like he's saying, like, yeah, I'm a great president because this industry is now booming, the industry of the military-industrial complex, and that's because of me. I'm no longer letting us get ripped off. But how would, how would it be getting ripped off to not sell a lot of bombs or drop a lot of bombs? See, I don't – it just – it seems like – it's a, not a thought that's very coherent. Like, I don't get it. But then again, I could just be missing something. But anyway, yeah, it used to be the case that he would use the anti-war rhetoric, and then he would be pro-war in terms of how he governs. Now it, so- it sounds like it might be the case that he's pro-war in terms of how he governs, and now also the rhetoric is pro-war. That almost sounded like just pro-military-industrial complex. Is that what he's saying? I genuinely don't know, and I'm not doing this segment to, like, try to you know, like a know-it-all segment where I'm like, hey, let me explain to you guys why X, Y, and Z is the case. No, I genuinely don't know what he's saying here. And I've watched this now so many times, and I still don't get it. I guess sound off in the comment section. You tell me what he's saying. But when I heard that him make the point about the military-industrial complex, I perked up. I was like, what? What did he just say? And then I listened back, and I listened back, and I listened back. I still don't know what he's getting at. You tell me. All right, next. Oh, shoot. All right. Um, I'm not done with the rally yet, people. President Trump said the quiet part loud. President Trump said the quiet part loud 
during his rally. This is a huge admission here, and this was probably the biggest story coming out of his new rally. Yes, sir. when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people, you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test, and they test. We got tests that people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. Okay, that, what's so amazing is that he doesn't understand how unacceptable that is and how big of a scandal that is. He's saying, listen, slow down the testing because the more you test, the more people you're going to find that have COVID, and that makes me look bad. That makes our government look bad. That makes our country look bad. But obviously, then you're just lying about the COVID numbers. In other words, a, a leader who is respectable, a leader who's a serious person would say, well, obviously I want to test everybody in the country because, you know, the more people we test, the more knowledge we have, the more information we have, and we can act accordingly. If we test everybody, we get an accurate number, so it's an accurate depiction of reality, and then we can respond the proper way. We can get the medicine to the people who need it. You know, we can plan accordingly in terms of how many hospital beds we need, how, many, how much in terms of stockpiles, of medicine, so on and so forth. Um, the, uh, the ventilators is another thing. So he's admitting, I please slow down the testing because I would like to lie, to go out there to lie to people about just how bad COVID is in this country. He wanted testing low so our COVID numbers are low. So we could go out there and say, we're doing am- amazing, we're doing tremendous, we're doing unbelievable, we're doing a lot better than so many other countries throughout the world. It's just so great. It's just so wonderful. And um, that's a stunning admission. Like, hey, dipshit, if you're going to say that, which you shouldn't because you shouldn't even think that, but if you're going to say that, that's the thing you say behind closed doors. How do you not know that? <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Listen, that is I mean, we're, we have incredibly thick skin in the Trump era because every day is a roller coaster. It's nonstop every single day. But this is like, people say a new low all the time. I don't know if there's a new low, but this is abysmal. Really, don't test because then we'll have lower numbers. And that allows me to go out there and basically brag that we're doing so well with COVID, even though we're not. And I know it's a lie because we're not testing as much. Any normal person would want to get as many tests to as many people as possible. Any normal person would want to do that. Any normal person. Who, anybody who cares more about the country and the people than they do about themselves, their petty narcissism, and looking good would react the right way. I, I really have nothing else to say about this other than you can't – when it comes to this dude's character – And you guys know me, when it comes to voting for people, I don't think that's the most important thing. I really do think policy is more important than everything else. But putting that point aside for a second, when you talk about this guy's character, I think it's totally true that you can't say enough negative stuff about him. You really can. Because this is, I mean, this is a joke. This guy's the president of the United States, and he's saying, keep the testing down, slow down the testing, because I don't want to look bad. I don't want to have more positive cases. But those cases exist whether or not you test for them. So if we test for them, then we know where they are and we can help them. So effectively you're saying, let's lie to people. Let's lie about the overall numbers. 
Let's test less. And if some people end up dying as a result of this mindset, who cares? At least I get to look good and I have a talking point when I go out there and I can say we have fewer cases than country X, Y, and Z. Well, congratulations. Your talking point just cost people their lives. And by the way, now you know why there was, su- there was such a, you know, a long time before he really got his rear in gear and started doing the things that he needed to do. We were way behind other developed countries when it came to getting the proper number of tests. Now you know why he didn't care about getting the proper number of tests because he wanted fewer tests and he just admitted it. All right, now we're going to talk about the TikTok teens. The turnout at Trump's new rally, the first one since COVID hit, the turnout was abysmal. And so there are a few reasons for that. But um, here's the funniest one. Teenage TikTok users and K-pop fans claim to have registered potentially hundreds of thousands of tickets for President Trump's campaign rally as a prank to ruin the event. So you had one of Trump's top campaign advisors, or campaign, might even been the head guy in his campaign. I'm not sure. Something Parscale, Brad Parscale or something like that. Um, He's the top guy in Trump's campaign. And he was tweeting about this days before that they were like, we have a million people saying they want tickets to our rally. It's going to be amazing. Incredible. And uh, so there was a lot of talk about that. So what they did is they had this, this big arena And then uh, outside of it, they had this overflow area where it almost looked like, you know, when there's like a concert outside and they got the big stage and they got the banner over their head and stuff. They set up all this for Trump because he was going to talk to the crowd indoors and then, you know, say some words outside as well to the overflow crowd because they were expecting, I would say at the very least, 100,000 people to show up because they really thought that up to a million people were requesting tickets and like, you know, Online, they were saying, and it, all, it was all teens and, and K-pop fans, they were basically saying, like, we want to RSVP for this event. I don't think they, they didn't buy the tickets, I don't think, but they were just saying, hey, we want to come to the event. And then there were, um, you know, they would give them, I think, their, their names and their emails so that they could get on the email list so Trump could then solicit them for donations. Like, this is how, this is how that game works. But they really thought that, at least 100,000 people would show up. Brad Parscale thought up to a million. You want to know what the actual number was? This is according to the Tulsa Fire Department. 6,200 people. Now listen. The response to this is a fair one. When the right-wingers say, yeah, but Biden can't fill a gymnasium. Totally true. (laughs) More than happy to admit that. I've seen it with my own eyes, okay? Okay. Here's the problem with that, though. You know who had gigantic packed crowds? Bernie Sanders. You know what happened in that primary? Walloped him. Okay. So perhaps it is true that the size of the crowds are not necessarily a reflection of how people are going to vote. Because there are plenty of people who are unenthusiastic about Biden who are 100% going to vote for Biden. So now, listen, we could have the deeper conversation. Is it possible there was a, you know, a lot of messing around, maybe some stealing here and there, some vote changing or whatever it may be? I don't trust American elections, as I'm sure you don't trust American elections. I mean, for Christ's sake, we have private companies that, you know, create the voting machines in some states and then 
we're supposed to trust a private company that has donors from you know various political factions. We're supposed to trust the system that gave us the Mayor Pete app that was used in Iowa, and Iowa was, was a clear example of they verified the wrong results. I'm not saying it's all on the up and up. You know, who knows? I'm more than happy to say I'm agnostic. We have a lot of problems we need to fix, but I'm agnostic on the overall you know trends. But listen, bottom line is the official results are what they are, and you do have a situation where Trump gets bigger crowds, but Biden could still get more votes. And the polls are showing right now that he's up quite a bit, way more than Hillary was up. So you have to keep that in perspective. So um, they had to break down the, not, there was like nobody that was in the overflow area. They had to, they started breaking down the overflow area before Trump's rally even started. So, guys, they really plan to have, like, at least 100,000 people show up and 6,200 people showed up. And uh, now, so you could say, hey, it's a lot of that's the teens and the K-pop fans. But I also do think it's fair to say it's not just them, although credit to them, and that was a nice little, nice little trolling move that they did there. Um, I also do think that there's a decent number of Trump supporters who are not as anti-science as some of the most ardent Trump supporters. And they really thought like, yeah, COVID is still a problem. They just had Oklahoma just hit their record number of COVID cases the day before the rally. So it's like, definitely COVID is definitely going to, you know, get passed around at that rally without a doubt. I have no doubt about it. And I'll give you another story on that later. But so I do think that there are plenty of Trump supporters who are fear COVID. And they're like, no, I like, I'm not going to go even though I want to go because I don't think it's safe. So um, you could say it's partly COVID. You could say it's the TikTok teens and the K-pop fans. Um, And then also, yes, I do think it is fair to say there is less enthusiasm for him this time around than there was in 2016, because in 2016 he was out there hammering Hillary Clinton on corruption, hammering her on the Iraq war, hammering her on NAFTA and outsourcing jobs. And his campaign was a lot more of a, seemed like an anti-establishment outsider campaign. Now, he also, of course, he's Trump. So, of course, he throws in the bigotry and, you know, Mexicans are criminals and rapists and, and we've got to ban the Muslims. And so he's got that, too. But there was more of an outsider element, um, whereas this time his whole thing is, I'm going to pretend like Biden is Antifa, isn't the stock market awesome, and let me lean into the culture war and bitch about statues for about an hour. And that's just, I'm sorry, that's just not as potent. That's not going to work. And this is what Trump has been doing a lot recently on Twitter, and he's too lost in the dumb stuff to find, navigate his way back to, oh, my God, we have 20% actual unemployment. Oh, my God, we still have a pandemic gripping through the country. We should probably do something about this. All, like, the serious issues are on the back burner, and people know that. Even former Trump supporters are like, wow, the serious issues are on the back burner. That's not okay. So the chickens are coming home to roost, man. Make no mistake about it. Biden right now is a big favorite. And if you don't believe that, you're just a hardcore poll denier. Understand something. Even though Trump won in 2016, the polls were not that off. Because Hillary won the popular vote by about 3 million votes. What did the polls have Hillary up? 2 to 3 million, or excuse me, 2 to 4%. And she had more votes by 3 million. The reason why Trump won is because he picked off the votes he needed in the proper areas in the Rust Belt because he was campaigning there nonstop leading up to the election, and he was talking about the trade deal. So he ran a good, camp- a good strategic campaign in the right places. And, of course, Hillary was overconfident. You had that whole mess. 
This time, Biden's leading in all those swing states. He's leading in all of them. So he's in trouble, man. He's in trouble. And they could keep denying that and saying that everybody who makes that point is fake news. But all right, dude, good luck then. All right, final, final one on the rally, and it's a similar topic to what we just discussed. Well, educated people knew it was going to happen. The experts knew it was going to happen all along, and now it indeed happened. So this is from Axios. They're reporting on what was the inevitable. Breaking, six of Trump's staffers who were part of the campaign's advance team for the president's Saturday rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, have been quarantined after testing positive for the novel coronavirus, the campaign told Axios. So, the day before Trump's rally, the day before Trump resumed his campaign and did a rally, Oklahoma had their highest number of COVID cases that they've seen. And they went forward with the rally anyway. Now, what they had is uh, they didn't have mandatory masks, I don't think, but they did have uh, temperature checks on the way in, and they gave people hand sanitizer as they went in. Is that going to be enough? I doubt it because I'm not sure. I don't think there was social distancing going on in there, and I'm not sure everybody had a mask in there. Okay, so my guess is, and this is a good evidence of it here, COVID was passed around quite a bit at that rally. If you're in an enclosed place and one person has it and they cough once, you just gave it to at least six people, dog. So this gets to, I mean, it's really, it's crazy, but there is something that has happened in this country where there was a brief period where we all took COVID seriously and realized, hey, this is not partisan. None of us want to die because of a pandemic. None of us want to get sick because of a pandemic. And uh, what happened was at a certain point, a lot of people said, Screw it. I'll take my chances. And so, you know, let me show you the numbers. We have confirmed cases in the U.S., 2.3 million, recovered 717,000, deaths, 122,000. Guys, that is two Vietnam Wars. There were, what, about 60,000 Americans who died in the Vietnam War. That is two Vietnam Wars right there. And instead of doing, like, if there was some sort of federal guidelines on social distancing in public as much possible, wearing masks in enclosed areas, that alone would go a long way. Okay, but we don't have that, and we're trying to get back to normal, and we're seeing cases spike. There's about 20 states where cases are rising on a regular basis. Florida's getting hammered right now. Texas is getting hammered right now. Arizona's getting hammered right now. Oklahoma's getting hammered right now. The only reason why New York, for example, is going down is because everybody's wearing a mask in public. I can't go to the store and see somebody without a mask. Everybody's wearing masks in public. That's why we're going down. So at some point, everybody was just like, screw it. We're just going to go back to normal and ignore the fact that we had two Vietnam Wars here. Uh, it's amazing. And the fact that the president, remember when they were doing those daily press conferences and they were trying to calm the nation? We're acting, we're doing stuff, we're, we're coming up with, you know, 
plans and, and rules and this and that, and the funds are going here and there, and trying to make everybody think, like, we got this under control. There was a certain point in time where they were just like, eh, screw it. Phase one open, phase two, phase three, phase four, and cases are rising, but who cares? I'm going to go give a rally in the middle of a place that's experiencing a COVID explosion. It's unbelievable. I mean, this is historically somebody, you know, in the future, people need to research what the hell is going on in the mind of Americans. We are still freaking cowboys here, bro. We really are. We really are. Other countries are like diligent and intelligent and they follow their plans and they flatten that curve. And we, you know, did half measures up front. And then after a while, we were like, the half measures are too restrictive. I tap out. And now we're just going back to normal and it's going to explode everywhere. So, I'll tell you what, here's what's scary. The next time we have a pandemic, and it very well could be an even deadlier pandemic, it ain't going to go well in this country, bro. This is not the country you want to be in. This is not the country you want to be in when we get with the pandemic, because we already know exactly how we're going to react. I guess we can deal with it for a month or two with some minimal restrictions, and then we'll be like, all right back to normal and a bunch of people will die there's uh there were some baseball facilities in florida that had to be shut down because so many people in the facility had it um the pga tour golfers came back there was one golfer that tested positive you know you hope that all these things are limited but that's not what the evidence is showing at the moment so anyway this guy he could try to do as many rallies as he wants he could bitch about the culture war as much as he wants but when you got 20 percent actual unemployment and when you still got a pandemic ripping through the country He's in serious trouble, and I think he knows it, and he doesn't know what to do because he thinks, well, if I'm in trouble, i got to go do the rallies because the rallies are the things that help me. And he goes and does the rallies, but COVID numbers are still going up. Unemployment's still going up. What do you do? What you do is you lose. You lose to a guy who can barely talk because he's in cognitive decline. That's likely what's going to happen. The only thing that could save Trump at this point is some sort of magical turnaround with some of our crises and three or four debates with Biden where Biden shits the bed. That's all, that's all he can hope for. Outside of that, we're almost at the good night phase. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got rising versus current affairs. You do not want to miss that. We have that and much more. Stay right there, y'all, right there.
I'm back, bitch. All right. Sorry that uh, it was a long break there, but I had to do a little bit of... I had to write some stuff down here for the next story, which I think is, you know, important stuff. Um... Okay, sorry, here we are. All right, let's talk about a little intra-left feud that's going on. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot to say about this. Okay, so... Nathan J. Robinson of Current Affairs magazine wrote a critique of the show Rising with Crystal and Sager, um... Now, before I continue, let me say up front that I actually like Nathan J. Robinson quite a bit. He wrote what I think is maybe the best piece I've ever read on Noam Chomsky. Um, Just hit the perfect note, and uh, I really related to it, so I'd highly recommend checking out Nathan J. Robinson's article on Noam Chomsky in Current Affairs magazine. He also wrote a superb piece on Jordan Peterson, that's another one that I highly recommend you check out. And listen, I, um, I've promoted Current Affairs before. I think I tweeted out, hey, you know, support their work, and, you know, here's the link. And um, So that's how much I like Nathan J. Robinson, and I like Current Affairs. Um, but this piece he did on Rising, mm, let's just say I don't view it like I view the Noam Chomsky one and like I view the Jordan Peterson one. So here's the title of the rising piece he wrote. Isn't right-wing populism just fascism? So the gist of his argument. um, Crystal's good. I like Crystal. But Sagar I thought was good. Turns out, no, Sagar's bad. I don't like Sagar. And I think that Sagar is actually terrible now, and Crystal is enabling the terribleness of Sagar. And it seems like an argument. I don't know whether he explicitly says it or doesn't say it, but I think his underlying point is like the show shouldn't exist because the left should have the the left should have nothing to do with the populist right, or like the populist left should have nothing to do with the populist right because quote isn't right wing populism just fascism, and. Um, The gist of his argument is this. Oh, let's have a conversation about right-wing populism. Um, Here, let me list some. Bolsonaro of Brazil, Marine Le Pen, Gert Wilders, Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson. And then, of course, he has to throw in there Mussolini and Hitler when talking about right-wing populists. And so his main claim is that, well, right-wing populism is all a fraud, and you should have nothing to do with them. And uh, Crystal, and she did a segment on it responding, and, um, you know, her argument was, what what do you want me to do? When I'm sitting next to Sagar and Sagar says something I disagree with, I vehemently disagree with him, and we argue it out. And not only is it that sometimes I disagree with him, Sometimes I think his beliefs are beyond the pale, and I say it to him that they're beyond the pale. Now, when we happen to agree, we have conversations where we agree. So basically, like, what do you want from me? And it seems like Crystal gets it from left-wingers sometimes who are like, how dare you sit next to Sagar? 
and then she gets it from right-wingers when they disagree with the substance of what she says, because she's arguing for left-wing positions. So her point is like, what do you want from me? And listen, I, I, I think the implication of what Nathan's saying is pretty clear. He doesn't want the show to exist. <laughs> he doesn't want the show to exist, and he doesn't want the left to have anything to do the populist right, because in his mind, the populist right are frauds, full stop. Now, um, what is populism? In order to have this conversation, we need to define what populism is. Well, populism is a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. So it's just representing the will of ordinary people. Now, I would contend as well that when you talk about populism, populism is more limited to the scope of economic policy, economic domestic policy. Um, in the same way that like when you hear the label neoconservative, it's not, it's not the same as like conservative, it's neoconservative, and that typically is more describing politics in the realm of foreign policy. Well, populism is more about domestic uh, economic policy, and it's representing the will of ordinary people on that front. Okay, so first of all, that, that's the definition of it. Now, where, will, where would I agree with Nathan? Okay, I would agree that almost every single national leader who calls themselves a right-wing populist or has been broadly given the label a right-wing populist, they're frauds. I think Tucker Carlson is pretty much a fraud. Every now and then he, he says the right thing about stopping outsourcing jobs or that one time he agreed with AOC and Bernie about, you know, um, let's limit the amount of interest that banks can charge. Like every now and then he'll, he'll throw out war is bad or whatever. But yes, the overwhelming majority of the time he's just taking standard conservative positions. And when he's not taking conservative positions – the rhetoric does not match up with the reality of the politicians he supports. So you could say that you're anti-establishment, but then when you support Trump, who is now doing the bidding of the establishment, are you really anti-establishment? No. I can say that's fraudulent. I'm comfortable saying he's, he's a fraud. I'm comfortable saying almost every national leader that would be called a right-wing populist is a fraud. The best example that we can go to is this guy named Josh, Josh Hawley. He's the... Um, He's the Republican senator who most closely embodies the philosophy of right-wing populism. Now, why is he given that label? When it comes to some domestic economic policy issues, he bucks orthodoxy, at least in rhetoric. So, like, he will argue flat out against so-called free trade. He's done it within the past couple of years. He'll come out there and argue against the concept of free trade, argue for more protectionism, um, he argued for doing what Germany did with our wages. I believe it was him and Representative Pramila Jayapal, who's, of course, a Democrat and a lefty. They argued for temporarily nationalizing wages for small businesses. So, yes, in some ways, his economic approach is certainly not that of the hardcore libertarians who are totally in favor of every free trade deal and who would never want to nationalize wages for small businesses. He's the closest thing that you could say um, represents a right-wing economic or right-wing populist um, in, in the country in terms of a national leader. Now, here's why I think he's a fraud. If you look through his record, his voting record doesn't match his rhetoric. Are you sensing a trend here, whether it's Donald Trump, 
or, or whoever who's so-called populist right, they end up doing standard establishment politics. So for Josh Hawley, you know, there was, he supported the balanced budget amendment, which you will, in no way, shape, or form, could you do like any social safety net, or you'd at the very least have to strictly reduce the social safety net if you have a balanced budget amendment. That is not populist at all. He says the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is unconstitutional. I don't think you could call yourself a populist and be against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, whose job is literally to protect regular Americans from big financial institutions ripping them off. <laughs> so yeah, you've got a hard case to make there. Oh, I'm a populist, but I'm against the CFPB. Um, he's also for right-to-work laws, which is anti-union legislation. Definitely not populist. One of the cornerstones of populism would be before the workers, namely for unions. Um, another one is he's not even for Obamacare, never mind Medicare for all. You know, a real populist, you have to say, would have to be for Medicare for all, because that's one of the biggest economic burdens Americans face is, is health care costs and the overwhelming majority of the population. Even in some, uh, some polls, most Republicans want Medicare for all. He's not even for Obamacare, never mind Medicare for all. And also, by the way, this one's the nail in the coffin, in my opinion. Josh Hawley supported the 2017 Republican tax cuts for the rich. Don't tell me you're an economic populist, dog, because every now and then you go out there and say, uh, yeah, free trade is bad, protectionism is good, and maybe we should nationalize wages uh, for, because of COVID or do UBI or whatever. No. On very few issues, he bucks orthodoxy. And most of the time he bucks orthodoxy, it's mostly in rhetoric, not in terms of substance. So that's where I would agree with Nathan. If he, if he were to make the case that, hey, right-wing populism in terms of the national leadership, it's not real. There are no real elected right-wing populists. I would agree with Nathan. In fact, I'd probably be pushing that article that he wrote in the same way I pushed the Chomsky one and pushed the, um, the Jordan Peterson one. So, but he didn't make that argument. The argument went a hell of a lot further than that. So here's where Nathan is wrong. The idea that the populist left and the populist right cannot meet where they actually agree. And actually, let me establish that the populist right is a real thing first, because it is. It is so flippant, and sorry, Nathan, but it's true, so dumb to immediately go to Mussolini and Hitler when talking about right-wing populists. My dude, they are fascists. They are fascists. Right-wing populism is not just fascism. Like I told you, the definition of populism, a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel their concerns are disregarded by the established, by the established elite groups. So here's an example of a right-wing populist. You ready? And there are many of them in terms of regular people all around the country. Not the leadership who I agree are mostly frauds. There are plenty of right-wing populists all around the country. So what's a right-wing populist? A right-winger, somebody who describes themselves as a right-winger, and they're in favor of unions. They're in favor of stopping these terrible trade deals that outsource jobs and maybe reversing some of those trade deals. Uh, they're in favor of a living wage. They're in favor of Medicare for all. But they happen to disagree with us on the issue of affirmative action, on the issue of immigration, on the issue of abortion. That's somebody who I would call a right-wing populist. And that, my friend, is a significant chunk of the American population. Significant chunk. You want to know why? I see the polls. The polls are crystal clear. When you have most polls showing 
that the majority of Americans, every poll at this point shows the majority of Americans support Medicare for all. Some polls show a majority of Republicans support Medicare for all. Are there, are there people in this country that are genuinely socially conservative but economically leftist? Yes! So what does Nathan do? When you say popul- populist right politics, it's just a fraud, and let's talk about Mussolini and Hitler, what you're saying is let's take all these regular people who are not remotely near freaking fascists, you're smearing them and basically accusing them of fascism. And that is, I think, such sloppy thinking And it's really sad because Nathan Robinson is a smart dude, and I would not expect this kind of sloppy thinking from him. Yes, Nathan, at the national level, most leaders who call themselves populist right or have been described as populist right, they're frauds because really, ultimately, they do standard establishment politics. But no, the whole concept of being populist right is not equivalent to fascism, and they're not all frauds. There are plenty of regular Americans who I would call populist right and who the polls would show are populist right. So let me answer Nathan's question, and this is kind of to reiterate what Crystal Ball was saying in her segment on this when she responded to it. Take yes for an answer when somebody agrees with you, dude. If somebody says, hey, I'm with you on Medicare for all, you know what you do? You say, great, let's get Medicare for all. Now, when that same person says, I'm against the right to choose in all circumstances, there should be zero abortion, you go, Okay, on that, not only am I not going to work with you, I'm going to fight you every step of the way. That's what I'm going to do. You understand? Oh, you're against gay rights? Well, I totally disagree with you on that. And I will destroy you in an argument on that. And I will not align with you on that. And where we disagree, my answer is hell no. I'm not giving an inch, bitch. But when we agree, why would I say on an issue where, where you agree with somebody, no. I refuse to agree because there are other issues where we don't agree. What are you, five? Is that how we approach politics? No, that's not how we approach politics. And Bernie Sanders showed us the way. How many times have there been alliances between the left and libertarians where they agree? Justice reform, NSA spying, ending the wars. Should Bernie not have worked with Mike Lee to... Try to stop the genocide in Yemen because Mike Lee has really bad views on immigration. He's a really bad guy. So they're frauds. Don't have anything to do with them. If you say don't have anything to do with them, that means also don't have anything to do with them on Yemen where you agree with them. I hate this mindset. I hate this, this approach. I honestly think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Because you want to know why? Everybody seems to understand, or most people seem to understand... When you talk about how the left and so-called moderate Democrats should get along on issues where we agree, everybody goes, well, duh, because you agree on those issues. The fact that Biden would pick a Supreme Court justice that's to the left of who Trump would pick, the fact that Biden would pick somebody like Merrick Garland, who's a centrist, and Trump keeps picking all these you know, far-right justices who just happened to break recently, by the way. But you know, Trump is going to pick further right justices than Joe Biden. Why am I allowed to say I agree with Joe Biden on that over Trump, or I agree with Joe Biden on gay rights, or I agree with Joe Biden, let's not pull out of the Iran deal when Trump pulled out of the Iran deal. Why am I allowed to say that, and that's okay, when Joe Biden is a war criminal? Joe Biden's a war criminal. He has the blood of hundreds of thousands of innocent people on his hands. He supported the Iraq war. So why, if Nathan was being consistent, 
he would say the left should have nothing to do with any moderate Democrats. Why? Because according to his conception of the world, they're frauds. He's a war criminal, case closed, so then even on the issues where you agree with him, you can't work with him and you can't say that you agree with him. See, notice how it only cuts one way. It only cuts one way. Everybody understands, well, duh, the areas where you agree with the moderate Democrats, whether it's gay rights, abortion, social issues, court picks, well, obviously we agree on that and we'll work with them on that because, duh, we agree with them. But when it comes to Sagar, and Sagar says, hey, I agree with you guys, let's stop outsourcing jobs, Nathan's response to that is, you're a fascist, you're a fraud, and I want to have nothing to do with you. (laughs) See, with this approach to politics, you get literally nothing ever done, and you burn every single frickin' bridge. He refuses to acknowledge, and there are a lot of people who refuse to acknowledge this simple concept, this simple notion. You're allowed to say yes when when we agree and no when we disagree, and even beyond that, yes, when we agree, and no, and your beliefs are abysmal, abhorrent, and beyond the pale when we really disagree. So I just, I really think it's, a, it's sloppy thinking to argue that there's no such thing as populist right. The whole concept is tainted and ridiculous. And if we, to the extent it exists, it's the group, this group of insanely terrible people, Bolsonaro, Marine Le Pen, Mussolini, and Hitler... And so you're equating regular Americans who are, like, for Medicare for all, for a living wage, for unions, but, like, against abortion and for immigration restrictions. You're equating them with the worst monsters in history. It's just, it is not, it's sloppy thinking, it's broad thinking, it's generalized thinking, and it's not even the same approach that you would take to dealing with moderate Democrats who might be war criminals. For some reason, the nuance is allowed for the moderate Democrats. The nuance is not allowed for the libertarians where you agree with them on war. And the nuance is not allowed for the populist right or paleoconservatives where you would agree with them on, on trade. Take yes for an answer. When there are frauds who are pretending to be populist right but ultimately aren't, sure, call them out. By all means, I'll be right there with you. I just did it. I just did it. I called out Josh Hawley's entire record. But... To the extent that there are people that actually are populist right and actually do agree with you, of course you work with them on the issues where you agree. And you disagree on the issues where you disagree. And so it's just frustrating. And I actually feel kind of bad for Crystal. Because, like I said, there are plenty of lefties who are like, how dare you even have a show with somebody you disagree with on a lot of issues? And the argument is you're legitimizing him. But then she gets it from the other direction, too. The right-wingers hate her because she argues for left-wing politics. So what, she's like, what the hell do you want me to do? See, Nathan thinks, and, and I'll end on this, okay? And you're, you guys are not going to like this. So after Crystal did the segment responding to Nathan and saying, listen, man, that's not a fair criticism. Here's what we're actually trying to do here. We're not trying. There's no, like, nefarious ulterior motive. We do our show. We agree where, we're, where we agree, and we disagree where we disagree. That's what we do. Nathan says this. He doubles down. I have regretfully come to the conclusion that The Hill, owned by one of Trump's close personal friends, puts on rising mainly for the purpose of trying to trick leftists into softening on Trump and see nationalist racists as preferable to moderate Democrats. What? (laughs) That 
is absurd. That absolutely is not what they're doing. It's it's honestly laughable. Crystal herself was just saying when when Trump was threatening to invoke the Insurrection Act, she was saying the same thing I was saying, which is like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to vote for Biden because this is way too far. See, what Nathan did there is he didn't like the response from Crystal, and so he resorted to, now I'm going to attack their motives. And so now it's a nefarious show, and the underlying goal is to like disengage the left and have the left see you know, racist right-wingers as preferable to lefties. First of all, no. <laughs> Second of all, why couldn't the dynamic e- equally be the exact opposite? That oh, you know, Sager's presence on the show is really to get right-wingers to have more left-wing views, and it provides a gateway into socialism. See, that's the thing that these guys never acknowledge, never talk about, and it drives me crazy. There's all this talk about a gateway. Oh, it's a gateway to the far right. That's what this is serving as, gateway to the far right. If there's a gateway into something, you also understand there's a gateway out, correct? Correct? So if somebody's willing to say, hey, we agree that outsourcing jobs is bad. Oh, look, they're getting along on the issue. Let me see what else this person has to say who's on the left while I, as a right-winger, watch the show. Why can't she deconvert people as much as Sagar can convert people to right-wing beliefs? Ah, see, that you're not, you're not allowed to entertain. The pipeline and the gateway only works to go to the right. The pipeline and the gateway never goes left in their minds. Even though, by the way, it freaking does. It does. When you're intellectually honest enough to say, we agree where we agree, you know what happens? A lot of people listen to you, and they'll keep listening to you, and then over time you can change their mind. Which is why I guarantee you, Crystal has changed more people's minds and made more people leftists than Nathan J. Robinson has. And that's not me taking a shot at Nathan J. Robinson. I just told you guys at the beginning of this how much I like him. But when your approach is, oh, all the populist right are just fascists, and they're all frauds, and let's talk about Hitler. What do you think is going to happen? Of course everybody's going to say, piss off, bro, if they're not already 100% in your little clique, in your subgroup. So, Nathan, I love you, man, but what are you doing? You're in a hole. Stop digging. She had a good response to you, and your response is, this is a trick to try to make lefties be okay with Trump. What are you talking about? By the way, I happen to know that because I know both Sagar and Crystal, and maybe I'm not allowed to say this part. I probably shouldn't say this part publicly, but I'm more than happy to say, say it publicly. There are a lot of contentious issues. The idea that anybody over there is a puppet or has underlying nefarious mo- uh, motives, not remotely close. And in fact, management is not too happy with them quite often because of the kind of show that they're doing, which is unsurprising because they're genuine outsider voices on a platform that is not an outsider platform. As I've told you guys before, this show is deprioritized in the algorithm. My show, you know whose isn't? The Hill, because it is owned by a corporation. By, you know, and so they got through all the algorithm deprioritization stuff, and so they're this is why they grow so much faster than all the other lefty channels. Is not, I mean, they do a good show, but it's not just because they do a good show. It's recommended all over the place. So 
you don't think that people who are saying the things that they're saying, you don't think, like, management is, like, always on their last nerve with them? They are. I happen to know they are. So this idea that there's, like, you know, this grand plan where the puppet masters are pulling the strings and really we're using Crystal just to, you know, make Trump and the Republicans look good, even though she always goes after them, it's, Nathan, what are you doing, man? It's sad. It's sad. I feel sad reading this. I feel sad reading this. Even, uh, I can't get over just the notion, just the idea that he's pushing out there, that the populist right, right doesn't exist, it's fraudulent, but to the extent it does exist, it's Hitler and Mussolini. <laughs> what? So there's nobody out there who's for, who's a right winger for Medicare for all, for a living wage, I'm talking about regular voters now, not leaders. The leadership, I agree, are frauds, but there's no right-wingers who are for Medicare for all, for a living wage, for unions against outsourcing, but they happen to be strict on immigration, right-wing on immigration, against abortion, against affirmative action. Of course people like that exist. Of course they do. And you know what an adult does, Nathan? They work with those people only on the issues where they agree, and they fight them tooth and nail where they disagree. So in other words... The same way I treat Joe Biden, where I say, sorry, but Biden would pick a better Supreme Court justice than Trump. That's obvious. Sorry, Biden would have stayed in the Iran deal and Trump pulled out of it. So Biden's better on that issue. You go down the list of the issues where Biden is better. In the same way, I can agree on that. And in the same way, I could say Biden wouldn't gut the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau like Trump did. But I can disagree with Biden where I disagree with him. The Iraq War, NAFTA, pushing TPP. I can go on and on here, right? Patriot Act. In the same way I treat Biden, where I agree where I agree and I disagree where I disagree, is the same way I treat the populist right. But Nathan wants to wholesale write off the populist right and only acknowledge nuance for somebody on our side on, who's a Democrat. That's just, it's just sloppy thinking, and it's just sad, especially coming from a guy as smart as Nathan. Again, I really like current affairs, and this is how nice of a guy I am. Even in a segment where I'm disagreeing with Nathan, I'm going to plug his magazine, because I like him. He, you know, he um, did the best Chomsky article I ever read and the best Jordan Peterson article I ever read. Please go read them. But Nathan, for the love of God, when you're in a hole, stop digging. You're wrong on rising. Sorry, but you just are. All right, next. Amy Klobuchar dropped a bomb on everybody. She has withdrawn from VP consideration. Watch this. Uh, I have never, as you probably know, on many, many shows um, since I endorsed uh, the vice president on that joyful night in Dallas, I've never commented on this process at all. Um, But let me tell you this, after uh, what I've seen in my state, what I've seen across the country, uh, this is a historic moment, and America must seize on this moment. And I truly believe, uh, as I actually told the Vice President last night uh, when I called him, uh, that I think this is a moment uh, to put a woman of color on that ticket. And there are so many incredibly qualified women 
Um, but if you want to heal this nation right now, my party, yes, but our nation, uh, this is sure a, a hell of a way to do it. So here's what's actually going on. The Biden campaign reached out to Amy and said, you're not going to get it, but we're going to be nice to you. We're going to let you save face and go out there and make it look like it's your decision. So this way, you know, it leaves the door open for the future. Um, She doesn't get embarrassed as a result of this. And so she goes out there and she turns her weakness into a strength. Her weakness is what? She didn't prosecute the killer officer who murdered George Floyd. She also locked somebody up who was innocent, and there was pretty strong evidence that he was innocent, and she kept him locked up. So her weakness is on issues like that, and now the Biden campaign said, hey, listen, go out there and say, I'm withdrawing because I love women of color, and I think a woman of color should be like that. Yeah. You go out there and say that, instant points, you get your woke points. And so, you know, the next time you run or whatever, um, we'll help you out. So it's a way of the Biden team to let Klobuchar down easy to also not make an enemy out of her. Um, It's backroom politics is what it is. But yeah, I thought Klobuchar was going to be the VP, Klobuchar Whitmer, until we learned that the officer who killed George Floyd could have been prosecuted by Klobuchar and she didn't do it. Then I was like, oh, well, they can't pick her now. There's no way. So um, Klobuchar's going out there saying, it should be a woman of color because I care so deeply about women of color. You ran for president. (laughs) She ran for president. Now she's like, oh, this would be ridiculous. This would be ridiculous if we don't have a woman of color on the ballot. Really? So why'd you even run for president? Were you going to pick a woman of color VP? Is that what you're going to do? It's just so cynical. This is all so cynical. It's all a show. It's all orchestrated and choreographed behind the scenes. She, I think she was going to be VP until the, until the George Floyd incident. Now she's not. Um, I think Whitmer now didn't even make the final list, to my surprise, because she was the, she's the governor of, I believe, Michigan, a state that Biden you know, would want help in, and they would think that she would help there. But maybe he's already up enough where they're like, we don't need her, and she would be a liability in other ways. So now the list is getting shorter and shorter, and there are more women of color on the list. You have Kamala Harris. You have um, Susan Rice, among a few others. So who knows? We'll see. I, here's what I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you. I don't think it's going to be anybody who we would like. <laughs> I mean, at this point, the closest thing would be Elizabeth Warren, and none of us like her anymore either. So, <laughs> so yeah, but anyway. The George Floyd incident ruined her chances, and now she's out there making it seem like it's her idea, but really, this is the Biden people letting her save face. All right, let's keep having fun. This this one's going to be a lot of fun here. It's an election season, so that means awesome and hilarious Republican ads. Um, this is a candidate in Oklahoma's 5th District. I think her name is Shelly Landon. Her ad is one of the most glorious things I've ever seen.
Award to represent you, Oklahoma, in the land of the free and the brave, a courageous people who forged the trail in covered wagons here in Oklahoma, where next found, let the mouth of the glory flow out. I declare and decree to you, we will rise again to be the top of the oil to bring oil and gas and life to an entire nation. As the oil capital, now I see that we can once again put jobs back into the lives of Oklahomans by drilling deep for thermal fuel and becoming the oil capital of the world. The hall of our government to the hall of Washington, D.C. Yes, yes, inject it in my veins. (laughs) Man, we live on different planets. You know, I've traveled, I haven't haven't traveled that much in my life, but, um, you know, I've been, I've been plenty of places, you know, I've been to Florida, I've been to Tennessee, I've been, I've been around this country, I've been to, um, Las Vegas, been to California as a as a kid, Wyoming. So I've been to I've been to a few places. I think probably I've traveled about as much as your average American, maybe a little bit more. Overall, not that much, but you know, I don't think I'm not sure. Do do people generally travel a lot? I really don't know. But I don't know. I've been to maybe ten states depending on how you define it or whatever. But, like, this this ad just shows me, man, it is a different planet over there in Oklahoma. With all love and respect, Oklahomans, I mean that. It is a different planet. Every part of that. I mean, from the singing at the beginning, and the rockets run. Oh, my God. You know what that reminded me of? Um, Ben Carson's wife singing. I don't know how many of you guys remember that. This was back when he was running for president. But he was on the campaign trail, and his wife sang. And it was horrible. But he was, like, all excited to let her sing the national anthem or whatever it was. Oh, my God. That's what that reminded me of. Like, why are you putting that in? Like, what, you think you sound good? Is that what you think? (laughs) Nobody heard that and was like, that was beautiful. (laughs) Um. And then I love the flowers. What's going on? That you're sniffing the flowers, like, yes, lovely, glorious. Um, talking about oil, we're gonna bring oil back and so many jobs. And then my favorite parts were probably the wind noise. The fact that they're using, uh, they didn't use actual microphone. They're using the microphone that comes on whatever camera or recording device they were using. So you hear the wind noise as she's talking. <laughs> That's so nice. And then, uh, and then the 90s graphics were the best. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, Oklahoma, Oklahoma politicians are using 90s graphics. It's like she's running for office, and for her, the year is 1976. Like, that's when she's running for office in, 1976. <laughs> different worlds, man, different planets. I'm not going to lie, though. Part of me hopes she wins. Because <laughs> she would give us a lot of entertainment moving forward. All right, next. 
It is censorship time. It is censorship time. Google is now micromanaging content when it comes to their AdSense program. So this is a story that broke a few days ago. I believe this is what, NBC, where they're reporting this? Google has banned Zero Hedge, a far-right website that often traffics in conspiracy theories, from its advertising platform over policy violations found in the comments section of stories about recent Black Lives Matter protests. Google also issued a warning on Tuesday to the Federalist over comments on articles related to recent protests. A Google spokesperson said in an email on Monday that it demonetized the website websites after determining they violated its policy on content related to race. Quote, we have strict publisher policies that govern the content ads can run on and explicitly prohibit derogatory content that promotes hatred, intolerance, violence, or discrimination based on race from monetizing, the spokesperson wrote. When a page or site violates our policies, we take action. In this case, we've removed both sites' ability to monetize with Google. So they continue and they say, Zero Hedge and the Federalist have become well-known in recent years for publishing far-right articles on a variety of subjects. On the recent protests, Zero Hedge published an article claiming that, that protests were fake, while the Federalist published an article claiming the media had been lying about looting and violence during the protests, which were both included in the research sent to Google. So let me give you a little more backstory on this. What happened is NBC did research, dug up things that were questionable or extreme from these websites, sent it to Google and said, are you guys okay with hate on your hate being monetized by you like this? Are you okay with that? I mean, listen, I'd hate to run an article saying that Google refuses to stop funding hatred, but I, NBC, might have to do that because unless you take action, if you take action, then we're on your team. So look at what NBC is doing here. NBC is using bully gangster tactics to try to get fringe outlets defunded. So outlets that are competition to them in, to one extent or another they're trying to get their funding taken away. Now listen, the Google AdSense thing, nobody ever thought that Google AdSense was in the business, same with like social media. They're not in the business of editing or censoring or filtering, they're just the middleman. They're just the middleman. Well now, NBC has basically kind of forced the hand of Google to not just be the you know totally neutral arbiter middleman, where the funds go, no. They've made them an active participant, and now they're involved in nitpicking and determining what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Now, I shouldn't even have to explain this to you guys, but it's all in the eye of the beholder. It's all subjective. And notice they contradicted themselves even within this article as to what the source of the demonetization was. Because first they say, oh, it's not because of the websites and what they ran. No, it's because of the comments sections on those websites, which they were saying very racially insensitive and hate-filled things. They say that at first, and then, no, later on they said that, no, it is because of the articles on the sites. Zero Hedge published an article claiming the protests were fake, and then the 
Federalist published an article claiming the media had been lying about looting and violence during the protest. So which is it? Is it the articles that they ran that was the problem, or is it the comments on the articles that were the problem? They contradict themselves in even the reasoning as to why they were defunded. Now, again, the Federalist was, I think, remonetized. Zero Hedge is still demonetized. You do not want to go down this path, guys. I promise you, you don't want to go down this path. The way that censorship usually works is at first you pick the targets that are, that are seemingly so beyond the pale that it's hard for anybody to disagree, like the Alex Jones, for example. And then what happens is it's mission creep. Slowly but surely, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding until everything that anybody would describe as fringe is gone and demonetized, and the only things that remain monetized are not the actual authoritative sources the most powerful sources will remain. NBC was begging Google to demonetize these outlets. So NBC is, you know, the person who's ultimately determining who's okay and who's not okay. I don't trust NBC to do that. I don't trust Fox News to do that. I don't trust CNN to do that because they get stuff wrong all the time. But they have the most money and they have the most power and they have the most connections in high places. So ultimately they'll be the last one standing they're trying to ruin all of their competition, and they're doing it through a backdoor way of censoring. Because what will they say? They'll turn around and they'll say, Kyle, it's not censorship, because they're still allowed to say whatever they want to say. It's just they can't get monetized for doing it. Well, if you can't get monetized, how the hell can you afford to do it in the long run? You can't. You can't. So it's a backdoor way of censoring while having the Weasley you know, um, escape hatch of saying, and it's not censorship. They can say whatever they want. But there are consequences for that. Okay, NBC, so are there consequences for when you relentlessly pushed Russiagate and were proven dead wrong on most of your claims? You claim the President of the United States was Putin's puppet and a Manchurian candidate and doing his bidding. That was proven not true. That was a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory. You were wrong about it. When you had Brian Williams on air talking about the beauty of our missiles as we launch them at a Syrian airbase. That's glorifying violence. When you had all these outlets push for the Iraq war, forget just the Iraq war, it's every war that we eventually go to, all of a sudden it's a unanimous opinion across mainstream media that war's good and we need to do it and we're moral and just and righteous in our mission here. These same outlets that mess up all the time, that do conspiracy theories all the time, that push violence in wars all the time, they're going to turn around and say, these websites over here pushing hate and violence and not okay. By the way, if that first thing really is the reason why, the comments, that this is insanity. And even YouTube is doing it now where they will hold comments that are questionable for you to review. Well, guess what, guys? I have what, about 850,000 subscribers or something like that? I don't have time to go through your damn comments. My approach is a totally hands-off approach. I believe in a free speech. People could, you know, pretty much say whatever the hell they want, and that's the end of it. But now YouTube was saying, no, 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 we're going to, we're not going to give you the option. We're going to withhold comments that we think are questionable, and then you have to review them if you want. Well, then I'm not going to review them. So it's effectively censorship of those borderline comments. I don't like that. I don't like that. So this is, I mean, this is, it's, we're going down a bad path here. We're absolutely going down a bad path. Because I guarantee you, even if you're somebody who's cheering this on, 
and, and your argument is, well, these websites are trash. They be, may very well be trash, man. I'm not commenting on, you know, the substance of the articles and the substance of the websites. But it's going to be mission creep, and it's going to come for somebody that you love, some site that you like. We already saw it. We already saw it. Remember, it was one of the times I was on Rogan's podcast. We were talking about all these pages were pulled. I think it was from Facebook. Like, Cop Watch was one of them. Lefties love that. Cop, cop Watch. All these cops doing terribly, you know, violent things. Things that are beyond the pale. Sorry, Cop Watch needs to get pulled down. See, this is what I'm saying. It never stops. It, the line is never drawn where you want it to be drawn because nobody's actually even thinking about this in an objective way. Ultimately, the people with the power and the money and the control will make the decisions, and they will not make decisions based on any reasonable standard. They will make decisions based on who they like and don't like, who their competition is and isn't, who's violating the narrative and who's not. So there's outlets that are far right and far left that will be gone and will be demonetized and then can't sustain. And again, if it was the comments on the article, think about how insane that is. I'm going to blame you for somebody a random reader said. Are you kidding me? This channel would be pulled instantly if they said, man, we looked at your comment section, and how many videos have we even posted? Probably over 10,000 videos or something crazy like that, uh, you know, in the history of secular talk. You don't think there are comments that cross the line in 10,000 videos with thousands of comments per video? Are you insane? Of course, there's endless stuff that crosses the line. Imagine them blaming me for something somebody else said. What? And even if you say, like, even the other thing, even if the reason why they demonetized them was what they said the second time, which was not about the comments, it was, oh, there was an article claiming the protests were fake. Okay, that's untrue. That's dead wrong. But us lefties claim that a lot of the Tea Party protests were astroturf, which means fake. Should every outlet that said it's astroturf be demonetized? NBC probably called them astroturf at one point or another. Should they be demonetized as a result of that? See, is what I'm saying. Everything, like, they try to act like there are clear black and white examples where there's nothing but shades of gray. Like, if you say, hey, racially insensitive stuff that promotes hate, can't have it. In theory, that sounds totally reasonable. But then in practice, what happens when you come across something where somebody's advocating for stop and frisk? I would say stop and frisk is a hate-filled, racially insensitive thing because the, the... Implementation of how it's used is overwhelmingly used against minority communities. It has an overwhelmingly high failure rate. It violates, you know, Fourth Amendment protections from unreasonable search and seizure. But you'd have conservatives who say, no, this is my opinion, and this is totally within the realm of that which is debatable. We had stop and frisk all over the place not that long ago. Of course it's debatable. Who's right? Who's right? Should you just demonetize them because I say I hate their position, I do hate their position. Do I think they should be demonetized for it? No. Because there's so many more shades of gray than people like to admit. And this is going to be used to take down all outsider voices. So congratulations for everybody begging for censorship, begging for demonetization. I'm telling you, it's scary because now the movement is definitely towards more deplatforming, filtering, demonetizing, censoring, Instead of these platforms being just middlemen, now they have to actively get involved and take stands on this stuff. But it's never, it never will make sense, guys. To me, my show, you guys presumably like it because you're watching it, but to somebody who was a Ted Cruz voter, to somebody who's a Steven Crowder viewer, 
they take one look at my show and be like, this, this guy, why don't you demonetize him? Look at some of the things he said. He's called the U.S. a terrorist nation. I've said that before. Noam Chomsky said that before. You could say that's hate speech. I'd say it's also objectively true when you look at what we're doing around the world. Look at the 432% increase in drone strikes. Look at the 90% civilian death rate. I mean, I could go on and on here. All the illegal offensive wars that we're doing. Sanctioning, you know, medicine going into Iran. So people are dying as a result of that. These are the actions of a terror state. Steven Crowder fan hears that. They want to demonetize me immediately. Should, should, they, should they be able to? Should they demonetize me? No, right? Exactly. So we got to take a hands-off approach on this, man, because now we're micromanaging, and that never ends well. All right, now... CNN melted down over an obvious satire video, and um, Twitter labeled it manipulated media. Watch this. This is a portion of the Trump post that Twitter is labeling manipulated media. The video shows these two toddlers and presents it incorrectly as CNN coverage. It's not. Going so far as to use a fake CNN graphic and misspelling. There, as you can see, the banner read, Terrified Toddler Runs from Racist Baby. So the banner changes to Racist Baby, probably a Trump voter. Here's the thing, though. This was actually a really sweet, beautiful story. Two toddlers, best friends, one white, one black, just so happy to see each other, hugging. CNN and several media outlets covered the full version of this now viral video Last year, in 2019, you can see for yourself, here's a version that CNN ran from our New York affiliate that originally aired the story, WPIX. I want to discuss this now with CNN chief political analyst Gloria Borger, who's with us. I mean, that it, it's such a sweet moment. I think especially as we need so many sweet moments right now during these hard times, right. it almost brings a sweet little tear to your eye. And the president just took this and he turned it, he made it so nasty. This is not the way the dad intended this, and he sort of stole this moment. Um, what do you think of it? Yep. Well, I, I think this is a president. Uh, it, first of all, I think it's ridiculous, and I think it's sad, actually, because it was such a, a sweet video of which the parents were so happy to present. Uh, and this is a president who somehow finds it okay to retweet Dr. Videos without stopping to think, wait a minute, I'm the President of the United States here. Don't I have to confirm this? Should, you know, this is archived, for example, Brianna, you know that. And you know that he's uh, retweeted Dr. Videos of uh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, and even though Twitter is now calling him out on it, he really just doesn't seem to care. And, you know, when I saw this, one of the things that I thought was it's not like he doesn't have someone very close to him talking to him about why this kind of right. online nastiness mm-hmm. is terrible, right? I don't get people, man. I really don't get people. So I saw that video when Trump tweeted it before, you know, all the, the, the backlash and the hype about it. And so Twitter first labels it manipulated media. Then all these outlets cover it. Then Twitter pulls down the video 
Now, to be fair, I'm not sure whether they pulled it down because they're saying it's manipulated media, so we're not going to keep it up, or they pulled it down because there was some sort of copyright infringement, because that oftentimes happens to Trump. He'll tweet something with like a song in the background, and then the people who own the rights to the song say, we don't want it on your feed, and so they pull it down. So I don't know exactly why they pulled it down, but I do know that before they even pulled it down, they labeled it manipulated media. Guys, manipulated media implies that they're trying to trick people into thinking it's something CNN really said. But I watched the video. It's not even close that they were not doing that at all. The the video shows, by the way, that video is the cutest video I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure many of you saw it. It did go viral like last year. But you have the video shows a little white kid. This is, let me give you the version Trump tweeted. There's a little white kid chasing a little black kid. And it says on the the screen, you know, basically, black baby running from racist white baby, and it's a fake CNN banner, and then it says, um, white baby, probably a Trump supporter. And then it says, here's what really happened on the screen, and you see that at the beginning, the little white kid and the little black kid run into each other's arms and hug each other, and so they love each other, and then after they hug each each other, they both turn around and run to like go into wherever the hell they're going, and they're running with each other, and it looks like the white kid is chasing the black kid, but they're just running with each other towards wherever the hell they're going, probably some playground or something, who knows. Um, So Trump was not trying to trick people into saying, this is, you know, this is actually something that was running on CNN. No, it was a satire video that was using hyperbole about how unfair CNN is to him in his mind. Now, you don't have to like the satire. You know, you don't have to agree with Trump that the media is unfair to him. But there's no doubt that it wasn't manipulated media like he was trying to use a fake CNN video and show everybody, like, CNN really said this. No, it was obvious that CNN didn't say it. What CNN banner on the bottom of the screen would say, racist baby chases another baby, and then baby is probably a Trump supporter? What? (laughs) The kids are two years old. They don't have political opinions. But see, this is, okay, no, see, this is, this is why I hate everybody, and this is why I hate everything. Why? I don't get the life, for the life of me, how this story became something that people all thought was like, like, we got Trump here. No, you didn't. You look like idiots who are so dense to context, and you're so dense to context on purpose because you hate Trump so much that you want to say, like, I can't believe he did this. There's so many other things where you could say, I can't believe he did this, things that he actually does that are bad, but they don't talk about the substantive things. They only go to this stuff. Oh, my God, he's violating civility and decorum in that video. Oh, my God, Mr. Trump, how could you tweet manipulated video? It's just like, what are you all, children? Stop with the stupid attempts to play gotcha. Do your job and cover important stuff. I, really, I seriously could not believe that this took off as much as it did, and Twitter labeled it manipulated media, and then it was pulled down, and all the news outlets were like, how dare you? He wasn't trying to say this is something CNN really said. What the hell, guys? I feel like we live in the twilight zone, and everybody around us are complete idiots. All right. 
Let's do a couple more stories, or maybe one more. We'll see. I do have my pick of the litter here, though. I will say that much. All right, I'm going to do two more. They're both pretty quick. So I have an update to the story for you about NASCAR. Remember, recently we spoke about how NASCAR banned the Confederate flag at their events. And they said, listen, we want to be inclusive here. We want everybody to feel welcome, so no more, no more Confederate flag. We're not going to have that anymore. And uh, I believe it was because the black NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace had said like two days before, like, you know, I wish that they would do this because as somebody who's black, it, it, it doesn't feel right to look up and see a symbol of my oppression and hatred. It feels wrong, so I wish NASCAR would do something. And NASCAR, a couple days later, said, no more Confederate flags allowed. Now, when I covered that story, one of the first things I said was, I don't know if it was the first thing, but it was one of the things I said in the segment. I said, I don't know, this guy might want to have, like, security and stuff because who knows if he's in danger because there are a lot of, I don't know if it's necessarily the drivers for NASCAR, although maybe it is. I don't know if it's the pit crews or whatever, but at the very least, a lot of fans are going to hate this, and they're going to think, they're going to place all the blame squarely on Bubba Wallace and act like, well, he forced NASCAR's hand to get rid of the Confederate flag, and this represents our heritage, man, and all, you know, all the arguments that they use. And uh, so I said, you know, he might be in danger, basically. Well, guess what? We just learned this. News. A noose was found hanging in Bubba Wallace's garage stall today per NASCAR. An investigation is underway to determine who's responsible. Quote, late this afternoon, NASCAR was made aware that a noose was found in the garage stall of the 43 team. We are angry and outraged and cannot state strongly enough how seriously we take this heinous act. We have launched an immediate investigation and will do everything we can to identify the persons responsible and eliminate them from the sport. As we have stated unequivocally, there is no place for racism in NASCAR, and this act only strengthens our resolve to make the sport open and welcoming to all. Now, listen, before we talk further about it, let's just say it up front and get it out of the way. We all remember what happened with Jesse Smollett, okay, where he lied about it. He lied, and um, I don't think I even covered it because I was like, something smells fishy about this. Um, Now, in the case of this, though, Bubba Wallace, yes, is it possible it's another incident like that? It's possible. It's possible. Um, But, I mean, I did kind of say when we had the original story, I was like, I bet there are a lot of people who are going to be really pissed off about this. And I think he should maybe get security. I think, you know, he should be concerned for his safety. And then now we get this. So I do think it's a little more plausible in this story versus the Jesse Smollett story where things didn't really add up. This seems a lot more plausible to me. And remember, it is NASCAR themselves are coming out and saying, like, we, we saw it, basically. So, you know, that there's some degree of verification that goes above and beyond in that. Um, but if you want to reserve judgment, that's fine. You could reserve judgment. But um, I think the main point here is there are certain pockets in this country 
that just without a doubt have not gotten over some very regressive attitudes on social issues, issues including race. You know, and um, I was floored. I, I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but when there was the Supreme Court decision on the Voting Rights Act recently, and they said, is it the contention of the federal government that there are certain areas of this country that are more racist than others? Huh, my goodness. Well, we don't think there's enough evidence for that. So they got rid of the voting rights protections, which you needed to have like pre-clearance from federal authorities for certain areas that were very historically racist. So like they couldn't do whatever they wanted Everything needed to be approved by the federal government because they would try, if they could, they, could, they would try to get away with suppressing the vote for communities of color. Limit the number of polling places, for example. That's one thing. Back in the day, there were you know, poll tests and a poll tax and all these things that they would use, which tried to make it put the veneer of something official, but in reality, it's just an attempt to suppress the vote. That's what voter ID is. That's another example of, oh, it sounds official. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, show your ID but it's mostly poor people and people of color who don't have the access to an ID or the specifications of the ID, and then it ends up suppressing the vote. So the second that they rolled back parts of the Voting Rights Act, immediately those places went right back to, you know, trying to keep turnout in communities of color down. So basically making the Supreme Court look like idiots when they were like, are you saying certain places are more racist than others? Ridiculous. Of course there still are. Of course. Of course. Same thing in the sports world. Are there some sports, by and large, that are, have more regressive attitudes on certain issues? Yes. You're not going to find the same level of racism in the NBA as you're going to find in NASCAR. <laughs> so, you know, that's why I was saying, hey, this might be tough for Bubba Wallace because a lot of people are going to blame him, and there could be some terrible backlash to this. So, anyway, here we are. And I hope that the story's untrue. I hope it is, but... You know, insofar as it is true, some people really are stuck in the 1950s, 1960s when it comes to racial attitudes. And um, it's stunning, especially somebody like myself who's, you know, raised in New York, in the North, go, went to a very diverse schools throughout my entire life. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but God damn it, it exists. And my hunch is if you talk to any black person, person of color around the country, they'll be like, yeah, like, of course. <laughs> so my naivete has held me back in many respects on this front. But, you know, a story like this is a real slap in the face. So anyway, I hope everything works out, and I hope Bubba Wallace is safe, and he probably should have some security. All right, final story of the day, y'all. Final story of the day. Here we go. So the Democrats are back at it again, trying to oppose Trump from the right. From the right. So this is what Axios says. President Trump suggested to Axios in an interview that he's had second thoughts about his decision to recognize Juan Guaido as the legitimate leader of Venezuela, and said he is open to meeting with dictator Nicolas Maduro. Now, I hear that and I say, that's good, because everything the U.S. has been doing against Venezuela is abysmal. 
all the sanctions. I mean, the country is really struggling. Yes, of course, some of the blame goes to their own government. But when you're sanctioning a country out the wazoo, of course, they're going to struggle even more than they would otherwise. Duh. Plus, we've been trying to do regime change like crazy with Juan Guaido. We're already, we've pretended for a while he's the legitimate leader of Venezuela. He's not. He's not in control of the government. We're pretending like he's the leader. It's ridiculous. Then there was the covert attempt to overthrow the government. All this stuff, right? So I would much prefer Trump says, all right, yeah, this Juan Guaido guy's a joke. Fine, I'll talk to Maduro. I would much prefer that. Any reasonable person who actually is principled in, you know, wanting peace would prefer that. Well, guess what? Joe Biden chimed in and said, Trump talks tough on Venezuela, but admires thugs and dictators like Nicolas Maduro. As president, I will stand with the Venezuelan people and for democracy. So let me decode that for you. What he's saying is, I'll do more sanctions and I'll continue to be hawkish. I will not sit down and meet with Nicolas Maduro. But Joe, people who believe in peace want you to meet with Nicolas Maduro, want us to stop being aggressive towards them. It's none of our business what they do in their own country. That's what we want. Remember when you were vice president and that Obama guy said, I'll meet with our enemies, quote, without preconditions. And he did with Iran. And we got a great Iran nuclear agreement. That was a good thing. That was a very good thing. He did the same thing with Cuba. Obama went in the other direction with Cuba. He's like, let's get rid of this embargo. Let's, you know, less intentions. Let's do all that stuff. That was good. You're saying the opposite. You're saying, no, I want to be tough. Trump is, by, Trump, by meeting with Nicolas Maduro, saying he might meet with Nicolas Maduro, Trump is not, quote, tough enough on Venezuela. You are resisting him from the right. You're resisting him from a more hawkish, more militaristic, more neoconservative position. This is why the left is miserable. We're miserable. Because Joe Biden doesn't believe in Dickie McGee's acts. He believes in nothing except becoming president. Now, I'm not saying Trump's any different. I'm not saying Trump's any different. But God damn it, why can't we have somebody who actually believes in trying to make the world a better place in power? Why can't we have somebody who believes in Medicare for all, free college, a living wage, ending all the wars, a Green New Deal, somebody who really will try to create a future that's freaking sustainable? No, we're stuck with these idiots. And wow, Biden inadvertently made Trump look good on this issue, but there's another twist in the story. So Trump goes out there after seeing the criticism, because by the way, you know who else did this? The media was red-baiting Trump, and a lot of people on Twitter were like, He's doing what Putin wants because he's going to meet with Maduro. That's what Putin wants. See, still Putin's puppet, still Putin's puppet. So what does Trump do? Classic Trump fashion comes out. No, 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 what I said, see, what happened was when I said I'd meet with him, I'd only meet with him to discuss the terms of him leaving power. In no circumstance would I be okay with him still being in power because I get to control that because I'm an imperialist thug just like the rest of you. Yes. So here we are. They're trying to out-hawk each other, out-dick measure each other. I want to be tough. I want to be tougher. I want to be tough. People are dying. People are dying in Iran. People are dying in Venezuela because the country is so goddamn sanctioned that you can't get regular goods. People can't get their medicine in Iran now. People are dying, and everybody's having a dick measuring contest for our freaking presidential race here, as if this is, what, this is what the American people want. People are sitting at home going, we got to get rid of that damn Maduro. No, people are like, God damn it, I can't pay the mortgage. I can't pay the rent. You know, I just lost my health insurance. I just got a giant pay cut. I just lost my job, whatever it might be. This is what people are talking about, COVID-19, all that stuff. 
Oh, God damn it, I hate everything. But here we are. Joe Biden trying to outright wing Trump on Venezuela. Then Trump goes out and says, no, 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 I will, I will be to the right on Venezuela. This is what it looks like when you have a bunch of corrupt, narcissistic idiots running the country who don't believe in anything except maintaining the status quo. All right. And on that note, we done. I love y'all. Um, and I will talk to you soon. Everybody stay safe out there. Much love. Peace. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.